Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the North Park Church of Christ YouTube channel. Uh, well, did you get everything that you were hoping to? Uh, everything that you were hoping for? After the Christmas holiday now, and there's so many traditions that are bound up in the holidays, whether it be Thanksgiving or Easter or Christmas or New Year's Eve. The traditions of um, sitting around and, and telling stories of uh, the events of the year or whether it be sitting down and watching football during Thanksgiving. Some of those traditions are very, very helpful and very good and can bind and strengthen those family ties, can't they? There's also this tradition and maybe sometimes it's not even called a tradition, but wherever there's a family gathering, wherever there are people, wherever there's conversation between humans, there's this tradition and, and, and happens. It's called that awkward moment. It may be the uncle who is uh, zealously political, makes those comments because he is so passionate about what he believes. Or maybe it's uh, another person who offers parental advice because maybe in their eyes they see you as lacking in some area. Even though you haven't asked for any advice or any help and uh, just completely unsolicited or those judgmental statements that just have to be said in a large group of people. Those awkward moments happen, don't they? Now, you may be saying, well, brother, you've been a part of that awkward moment. You've created that awkward moment for me. I'll own that. Um, but I've also been around folks who have created awkward moments. The story, we have, the story we have in Genesis 44 and 45, the history that's recorded there for us, we have two awkward moments. Joseph's brothers have returned to Egypt. They're in need of grain again. When they left the first time, Joseph has told them, uh, please bring your brother back with you. If you come again, you won't see my face unless you bring Benjamin. And Joseph's brothers, they've had to tell Jacob because Jacob has asked them to return to Egypt. And so they've had to tell him, look, this is what the man said in Egypt. If we don't bring Benjamin back with us, we won't see his face. And so Jacob agrees and they return to Egypt the second time. And they see Joseph again. And Joseph finally is able to see his brother Benjamin. And he begins to weep. Now, if anybody has ever had an opportunity to exact revenge or payback, it would be Joseph. Uh, just consider what his brothers did to him. They sold him into Egypt, and, and Judah actually is the one who uh, came up with that idea. And we see Judah here later in our message today, his humility. But Jacob, uh, Joseph, what an opportunity he had. For revenge. And so the brothers return to Egypt. Benjamin sees, or Joseph sees Benjamin for the first time. So many years, he begins to weep. They sit down, they have a meal, they spend the night, and Joseph gives them grain and, and their money back in their packs and their sacks, and they're off on their way to return to Canaan. 
But before they are able to return, Joseph asks the house steward that he has to go and put the silver cup into the sack of Benjamin. Now the brothers don't know this has happened, and so they're on their way, and the house steward catches up to Joseph's brothers and accuses them of being thieves. Judah pleads his case and says, look, the money that you gave us the first time we came down, we brought it home with us and, and we've brought it back because we know that it belongs to you because we bought the grain and yet we still had our money. How can you now accuse us of being thieves? And Judah says, whoever, whichever man has the cup, he will die and the rest of us will be your slaves. He's pretty confident that no one's taken anything. No one has, but Joseph has devised this plan. So needless to say, the steward goes and they search all the bags and they find the silver cup in Benjamin's sack. And Joseph's brothers tear their clothes. And they return to Joseph. In Genesis 44, I'd like to start reading in verse 18. And this is Judah's interaction with Joseph. Now, remember, it was Judah who came up with the idea in Genesis 37 to sell Joseph into Egypt. And verse 18 says this. Then Judah approached him and said, O oh my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ears. And do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. We, my Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead, so he alone is left to his mother, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. You said to your servants, however, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. Thus it came about when we went up to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. Our father said, go back, buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I have not seen him since. Now Judah gives Joseph a little bit of insight as to Jacob's mind towards him. Jacob thinks he's dead. In verse 29, If you take this one also from me, and harm befalls him, Benjamin, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol and sorrow. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol on sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad a slave to my lord. And let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if your lad is not with me? Or if the lad is not with me? For fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father. What a change in Judah. 
this awkward moment. Judah thinks that his brother has stolen this cup from Joseph, the man who has blessed them tremendously with grain to bring back to Jacob. And what do we see in Judah? We see humility. Humility. He didn't try to justify it. In his mind, he thought he was wrong. Now, he wasn't wrong because Benjamin stole the cup, even though Benjamin didn't steal the cup. But Judah was wrong because he sold his brother into Egypt. Judah was wrong because he was jealous of Joseph and he sought revenge. But here we see Judah humbling himself before Joseph. Brothers and sisters, if we've been the one who's wronged someone, we've created that awkward moment, let's let's show some humility. Let's not try to justify it. Let's not try to get them to see our side of it. If someone has come to us and has talked to us and is trying to talk to us about how we've made them feel awkward because of the words we've said and because of our sin, let's listen. Let's not try to justify. Let's listen and humble ourselves. Judah is a good example of this. He humbled himself. In 1 Peter 3, let's go there. In 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Verse 8, Peter is talking and he's addressing the relationship between husband and wife. And then he addresses the church as a whole. And, And these things can absolutely be helpful in a marriage relationship, but also in all those other relationships we have. And I pray that we keep these things in mind as we uh, celebrate the New Year's Eve, uh, New Year's Day, and celebrate the new year, that if we are in those gatherings, that we would take these things to heart. And in verse 8, he says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life, to love and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He says, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. How that can easily take place, can't it? Someone has insulted us. They've created this awkward moment. And we can just jab the sword in, the thrust of a sword. And insult them because they've insulted us. Try to exact revenge with our tongue. Peter tells us here, no, be harmonious. Brotherly, kind-hearted. Not returning an insult for an insult. He says, those who desire life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Judah is showing humility here. And what an opportunity for us to show humility 
when we've wronged someone or when we've been wronged. What an awkward moment we have. Judah is trying to plead his case before Joseph. And there's not really anything that he can say, is there? It's not really anything Judah can say. And he says, I'll take the place of my brother, Benjamin. Take me as a slave instead of him. What a change. What a change we see in Judah. Humility can unarm uh, the one we've wronged. And that's exactly what Judah's humility did to Joseph. It completely unarmed him. In Proverbs 15.1, we know that a gentle answer turns away wrath. It's hard to argue with someone that's being gentle in their speech to you, isn't it? In Judah, we see that humility. We also see the honesty of Joseph. In Genesis 45, we see the honesty of Joseph. It's another awkward moment. Joseph is finally going to reveal himself. And Judah has already said with his own mouth that it's, we've sold him into Egypt and we believe that he's dead. Jacob believes that Joseph's dead. And Joseph, after seeing the response of Judah, the situation they find themselves in with Benjamin, says this in verse 1 of Genesis 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brother, brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. What a, what a climax to all of this. It's been over a decade since his brothers have seen Joseph's face. And has it's been that long since Joseph has seen any of them. Yes, they've come before. They don't know it's Joseph. And Joseph's seen them, but now he lets them know, I'm your brother. And we have this moment of this awkward silence. Have you ever been there? Those moments where there's not really much to say or we don't really know what to say. And so the moment is silent and the silence itself makes it awkward. That's what we have here. His brothers could not answer him. <laughs> they were dismayed. <clears throat> Excuse me. They didn't know what to say. They thought he was dead. And there's no way the dreams that he had when he was 17 could come to pass. It's the whole reason why they sold him into Egypt. They threw him into a well, sat down to eat a meal, and then sold him as a slave. And here he is, standing in front of them. And they, in a position of paying homage and bowing down to Joseph, just as God's 
dreams that he gave to Joseph said. But let's not overlook the fact that Joseph does have an opportunity to make them slaves. We know the story of Joseph, so we don't mind ourselves to the opportunity that he has, because that's not what he does. But don't overstep or overlook the fact that he did have an opportunity to make them slaves. Now, thankfully, he doesn't misinterpret the dreams that God gave him 13 years ago. And we show, we see Joseph's honesty. He was honest with his brothers and he was honest with himself. Testing his brothers, holding back Simeon, holding back Benjamin, potentially. That's not who Joseph was. And he was honest with them. And they couldn't say a word. He had an opportunity to make them slaves. And we already said that. Um, and he didn't overlook their actions. He was honest about it. And he was honest with them. And in verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. See, he didn't pretend like it didn't happen. He didn't overlook it. He told them, I know you've sold me here. But he offers a word of encouragement with the honesty. He says, don't be grieved. Or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. We see that they were grieved and they were fearful. Towards the end, uh, later in the end of Genesis, we see that they were afraid after Jacob dies. Because they didn't know how Joseph was going to respond. But Joseph was honest. And we need to be honest too. Say, well, wouldn't honesty bring about more awkwardness? <laughs> those family gatherings, something said that's offensive and sinful. And we uh, may call somebody out on it. Be honest. Now, I would advise that we do like Joseph did. He ran everybody out of there before he revealed himself to his brothers. And maybe there's some prudence there. If we allow the conversation that needs to take place to be between one, that other person and yourself or me and someone else, there's wisdom in that. We don't need everyone else to know. It's, there's prudence in working it out, mano y mano. Joseph was honest. Be honest about it. As Christians, uh, we don't want to cause awkward moments, but we also shouldn't be ones who are afraid of them either. We should be able to use them as opportunities for growth and to honor God. If it bothers you, deal with it. If someone has bothered you and, and created an awkward moment, and an awkward environment, Talk to them about it. There is a time and place. And if you're able to work through it, then praise the Lord. Uh, if we're able to work through it without having that conversation, then, then that's fine. But if it's really bothering us and we aren't able to work through it, we need to be honest like Joseph was. Not overlook it, not pretend that it didn't happen. 
in order to truly forgive, we have to recognize the transgression. In order to truly forgive, we have to recognize that a transgression, a sin, a trespass has taken place. We don't pretend like it didn't happen. Especially if the humility has been shown by the person who's been the offender. Right? We have to be honest. What an opportunity Joseph had to take revenge. But he didn't. He was honest about it. He recognized what his brothers had did, and he recognized that it was wrong. But he also recognized something else. He also recognized God working. And that's a powerful, powerful lesson for us, to recognize God working in the situation. Because not only is it good to get with family, It's valuable time that can strengthen those ties. But it's also a time to talk about Christ. It's also a time to honor God. What an opportunity we have to share the gospel. And I pray that's on our minds as we're gathering with family who are not saved. We say we truly love them, but then we try to avoid the awkward conversation about Christ, don't we? Because it's awkward. That takes humility. That takes honesty. And it takes honoring God to do that. So we don't want to just waste these family times that we have. It's an opportunity and we don't have to bring up Christ every single time we gather, but it needs to be brought up. If we have the opportunity, let's do it. You say, well, that'll be awkward. That'll, that'll, be, that'll make the situation strange and there'll be this awkward silence possibly. But how awkward would it be and how awkward would you feel standing over that same person, that family member's casket, knowing that you had an opportunity to talk to them about Christ and you didn't? We honor God. And notice what Joseph says here in verse 5. Genesis 45, 5. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. How could he say that? I mean, if, if anything, he would be angry at them. Looking to exact revenge. Payback time. You will bow down to me. You will be my slave. No, you will not return. None of you will return to Jacob. But that's not what he does. Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph recognizes God's hand in this. He sees the famine. He's been able to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. And he knows that the land has been ravished by this famine. They're two years into it. And they've got five more to go. And he sees that God is working to preserve 
Israel. And he used Joseph. He was honoring God. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant in the earth. Joseph sees again, he sees the hand of God, that God is preserving Jacob, just like he promised Abraham, really. That his descendants would be as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. And we're told later that it's about 70 or so people who end up going to Egypt with Jacob. 70. And as we get into Exodus, we see that it was multitudes. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people leaving Egypt. God preserving a remnant. Because this famine is ravishing the land. And Joseph is this conduit for God to preserve Israel. In which the savior of the entire world would come through the Hebrew people. Verse 8, now therefore it was not you who sent me here, or wasn't it? Joseph's perspective is, no, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. Joseph honoring God. He had an opportunity to take revenge and he honored God instead. And this is what Paul tells the Romans in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 14. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in the mind, in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So you have those awkward moments. An opportunity to throw an insult for an insult. Or to throw evil at evil. The Christian has an opportunity to honor God. When you consider... The history of Israel up to this point in Genesis, there's been plenty of opportunities for revenge. Plenty of opportunities for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Plenty of opportunities for Joseph to exact revenge. And where we find 
Joseph in Egypt. He has an opportunity to honor God, and he does. Just think of Dinah. Just think of what happened to her and what Simeon and Levi did. The exact revenge because of what happened to their sister. There's no place for revenge in the heart and mind and action of a Christian. No matter how awkward the situation may be. Honor God, brothers and sisters. We don't want to be foolish. We want to be people of honor, people of integrity, people that honor God. And the proverb writer says this in Proverbs 26, like snow in the summer and like rain in harvest. So honor is not fitting for a fool. In Proverbs 15:33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. Brothers and sisters, we want to be those who show humility. We want to be those who are honest. And we want to be those who honor God. I pray that this holiday season finds you well and hopeful. Hopeful that the Lord is working. He's working through you. He's working through me and through the church, through his spirit, through his word. And that we as Christians, we don't have to take revenge. We don't want those awkward moments to come. But when they do, we'll be prepared. We'll be prepared to honor God with what we say. We'll give ourselves and the Lord will provide an opportunity to share the gospel. And I pray that we would show humility towards one another in those family gatherings. God bless you. May the Lord be with you and strengthen you. And uh, we'd love to see you in Northborough sometime, in person or online. God bless. Take care.